dear ones, Shannon here with Animal Love Languages, Animal Communicator, and Reiki Master Practitioner. And I am excited to welcome you to episode six of season four of Let's Talk to Animals. Over the last couple of episodes, for the last month or so, we've been talking a lot about pet grief and loss. And if you are tuning in, especially if you are just finding us for the first time, I want to encourage you to seek out those episodes. I share my own story of losing my soul bird of 24 years, Pearl, and lots of insight into the universality of the pet grief process. It truly doesn't matter what species we are. Love is love is love. Grief is grief is grief. But for this episode, I thought we could shift gears a little bit. Of course, for all of season four, I'm kind of coming out from behind my hostess badge. The previous three seasons, I've been talking with respected accomplished animal intuitives and energy workers and light workers and holistic healthcare practitioners in the veterinary and pet care industries from around the world. And we've had some amazing conversations. But for season four, I decided it was finally time to set aside my hostess badge. Of course, I still love hosting you every two weeks for these podcasts. And yet I thought I would come come to the front forefront a little bit more and, and share some of what I've learned working with my pet parent clients and my animal clients, share what I've learned from listening to all the wonderful practitioners that I've spoken with, over 70 interviews with amazing people. So please do go check those episodes out and share some stories from my own personal path to becoming a professional animal communicator and a pet energy and Reiki master practitioner. For this episode, I want to share the transformation, animal communication, pet Reiki, and holistic veterinary care has made in our own animal, our dachshund, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon is a 32-pound, purebred, standard, wire-haired dachshund. Flash Gordon came to us as a puppy. He came to, to, he's actually my, my mom and dad's dog. My dad passed about a year and a half ago and Flash is now turning eight and he is a true hound. He thinks with his nose and his stomach. After my dad passed, my mom experienced a really severe fall a few months after dad passed and that shifted our whole family dynamic and culminated when I gave up my my home and moved in with her and we created kind of a duplex out of her single family, single story home. And the upshot of that is I'm living in my childhood bedroom. And uh, boy, has that been interesting. So if any of you are caring for parents that are moving into or are already into their so-called golden years, you probably can relate to this. 
And one of the things that got added to my daily joyful to-do list is a lot of a lot of responsibilities around caring for Flash. One of the first things that I knew I needed to deal with when we became a blended family, so to speak, is I knew I needed to address the kibble diet that Flash had been eating for all of his seven seven and a half years to date. You know, it's tough. I, I have these conversations every week with my pet parent clients. It can be really difficult whether you're talking to a family member or a loved one or a friend or a client who's paying you to impart wisdom and share guidance. It can be really tough to tell somebody that expensive veterinary recommended diet that you've been feeding your animal actually isn't the best for them. It's not doing what the package says it's supposed to and will do. That can be really tough news to impart. And there can be a lot of guilt that comes up. There can be some shame that comes up. I have yet, out of the hundreds of pet parents I've talked with, I have yet to encounter a pet parent client who didn't think honestly trust and believe that that kibble diet was the very best thing that they could possibly feed their animal. Many have said to me, you know, in protest or in shock, well, it's very expensive. My veterinarian recommended it. However, the truth is, and I want to really encourage you to go back and listen to my conversation in season three with Dr. Judy Morgan, one of several holistic practitioners I've talked with. She has done her homework and she has fantastic information on exactly how those commercial kibble diets are made, how they're processed, how they're baked at high temperatures, how the nutrients tend to be sprayed on, and they can go rancid quite a bit faster than what the package date might indicate, et cetera, et cetera. I am not the expert on kibble diets. She is. So go and subscribe to her e-newsletter and She sends out a wonderful Friday Five that includes lots of research and information and transformation stories. So I really want to encourage you to follow her for more information. What I just shared with you is part of what we talked about in our our interview here on Let's Talk to Animals last season. So at any rate, Flash had a lot of allergy issues. He was constantly getting uh, yeast infections in his his paw pads and his floppy ears. He was scratching his skin a lot. He was rolling around on the AstroTurf. We placed over his dog ramp to come in from outside. You know, it was obvious that he, and he was doing a lot of kind of, it sounded almost like a reverse sneeze and a lot of clearing his throat and what felt, what sounded a lot like gagging and even vomiting. He was having late night, early morning vomiting episodes. And there was just a lot that was informing my gut instinct that we needed to change his diet. So of course, here I am newly moved in with mom and tasked with sharing the news that we needed to up level Flash's um, meal prep. Once I realized that mom loved to cook, I said, you know, have you ever thought about cooking Flash's meals or preparing home meals for him just to give me even more ammunition? Of course, I'm an animal communicator. And so I talked with Flash and I asked him about his food. I said, how do you like your food? And, you know, 
many animals, when they first transition away from a kibble diet, it's actually can be a hard transition, especially if they've been eating kibble for a while and their whole system has acclimated to what is required to break down that particular kind of food source and digest the nutrients and make the very best use of it. And, you know, our, our digestive and elimination system, they don't really like change. This is why so many of us get constipated when we go on a diet. It's why we get, you know, diarrhea when we go and travel to different countries. It's why we get irritable bowel when we're under stress, which is also a time when we're often kind of out of step with our own daily routines. Our animals are no exception to that. Just because kibble is not optimized nutrition, it's not natural, by which I mean it's not what that animal would would naturally seek out and be able to find and eat if they were in a wild setting. Yes, our dogs are not wolves, yet the DNA is clear that that's where the genetic inheritance comes from. And so you look at a wild wolf's diet and you're not going to find any kibble. So I talked with Flash and I said, you know, how, how do you like your food? And he, he said, well, I like it just fine. I mean, the analogy would be my mother loves potato chips. And it's not unlike the, the process that a potato goes through to become a potato chip. Is there still a little bit of nutrition hidden in there somewhere? Yes. Is it delicious? Absolutely. Would it be good to eat potato chips for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or breakfast and dinner if you're a dog every single day for years and years and years? I'm going to say no. So, you know, Flash said, yeah, it's good. You know, it's tasty. I like it. Um, and I'm hungry when it comes. And so I, I look forward to it. And yet when I when I probed a little deeper and I asked him some more targeted questions, he said, you know, I'd really like to eat those wonderful fresh dishes that you eat. He said, I want to eat what my mom eats. And it's interesting because when we look at that, there's two factors at play there. One is the, you know, the outdated way to say it would be the pack mentality, but the social bonding. You know, he was very clear. He said, I want to eat when my mom eats and I want to eat what my mom eats. And so that's another way to look at it. He you know, he, he wants to have that social bonding experience and he also wants to experience the different smells and textures and tastes. I mean, the sensory awareness in our non-human animal companions is greatly amplified over what we have conditioned ourselves to pay attention to. It's not that we can't experience a heightened level of sensory awareness. It's just we don't do it. We don't really foster that. We don't cultivate that. We have grown up and been educated to be more interested in what's going on upstairs in our minds than, than the information that's flowing in through our senses, most of us. And that's a fundamental pivot that needs to take place when I teach, when I teach students who want to learn how to do what I do and communicate with the animals. That's a, a, a pivot that we need to make. We need to come down out of the attic of our mind and start tuning back into what's going on with the information that's flowing in through our senses, both our overt physical senses and our subtle senses. And that's a topic for a different podcast episode. However, Flash was saying, you know, I'm a sensory being and I, my senses go nuts. My mother is an excellent cook. So she can, and she can make everything, anything that you would want, ever want to eat, she can make it. I even bought her a little, one of those little home flamethrower things for the holidays this year. And yet she turned out a creme brulee like a pro. 
So of course, Flash is going nuts when she's making these amazing dishes and he can't try any of it. And so armed with this information, and you know, even, even when I'm working with a pet parent client, you know, sometimes their animal wants to deliver information like this that can be tough. And so one of the things I like to do is ask that animal, is there a way that I can share this information with your human where it would be easiest for them to receive it, where they won't feel the impact of the very natural and normal, the guilt and the shame. I mean, I remember when I was young and I was caring for my beloved parakeet, Perky, and we went into a, a, a store, a pet shop one day, and we needed to buy some seed for Perky. And the woman behind the counter, who, by the way, was selling bird seed along with all kinds of other things in her shop, but she yelled at us and told us that basically she wanted to call the bird police on us because we were feeding our parakeets seed and they needed a varied diet, et cetera. And it's like, I felt so much shame and guilt about that. Gave it to So I just to say, I understand. So it's great to ask the animal if you're practicing, if you're listening to this and you're practicing animal communication and, and animal, you know, what often happens is we, we get information and we don't share it because it's so difficult to share. Animal communicators, intuitives, anyone who is learning about the psychic and intuitive arts, we tend to be empaths naturally. And so we're going to naturally try to mitigate any negative impact on that other human we're talking with. So this is a great way. So Flash shared with me that I love mom very much. I want to eat with her. I want to eat with you guys. I want to eat when you eat. So you can tell her that. And I also, I want to eat what you eat. It smells so amazing. And she's such a good cook. And so, you know, sharing it in that way allowed me to impart the information so very gently. And then I was already armed with the information I had from Dr. Judy and other practitioners who was able to come in immediately and offer some recipes. Mom got all excited because she loves to cook and it's just her and me now. So she was delighted to have somebody to cook for again, really cook for. And so it became so much easier. And of course, we did have to do a transition. It's not like we just took all the kibble away and plunked down fresh, tasty stew. There, there needs to be a transition period because of the aforementioned digestive upset that can occur because our digestive system isn't necessarily going to be delighted. At first, it's going to say, whoa, big change. I think I'm going to do my thing and develop symptoms. So of course, we, what we did actually is we alternated meals for a while for seven to 10 days. I can't remember exactly how long we did it. And he would get a kibble meal uh, for one of his two daily meals. And then he would get his fresh meal for his other daily meal. And so that was kind of a a modified way to transition him over without too terribly much digestive upset. We kept the meal times at the same time and instantly started to notice a difference. He just has, has had more energy. He has had a reduction in the amount of yeast issues. He has had a sweeter disposition, I'll be honest. And he has had less of the skin scratching and rubbing and and less of the, which was the most worrisome, he's had less of that. It sounds like a combination between a reverse sneeze and kind of an attempt to regurgitate. And he's had less of that as well. One thing that we, we kind of initially worried about that didn't end up coming to pass is sometimes because kibble is so tasty and the analogy of Lay's potato chip, just go try when my mother's got her hands on a package of Lay's potato chips, just just go try to take them away from her and see what happens. So some pets can actually rebel. They are not only 
resistant to change. Your digestive system is saying, no, no, never seen that before. And yeah, it smells good, but I'm not eating that. It can be a process. I don't want you to, to start down that road and bump up against a roadblock if your animal's uncertain or hesitant. It's normal. It's natural. So we, we do what we can. You know, Even mixing the kibble in with the fresh food diet can be an amazing way. We don't do raw. That is certainly possible because of his long-term kibble diet. We found it's easier on his digestive system overall because he's now considered a senior, a senior dog, which is crazy. He's eight years old. He's going to be eight, and he's considered a senior dog. But canine timeline is different, and so we found that cooking the food just makes it easier for him. So you have to play around. You know, there's no cookie cutter approach to to adjusting an animal's diet. We are all unique. We're all one of a kind. We're all thumbprints. There are no duplicates. So we have to take a look at that individual beings, needs, reactions, life stage, overall health. One thing that worked in our favor, we've had dachshunds since I was a teenager and they've all been total foodies. So one thing we didn't have to worry about and have never had to worry about is Flash being reluctant to try the new diet. He he was just as enthusiastic as he would be about. He eats acorns and twigs and you know, cardboard boxes if we let him. So he's the, just say, we'll just say he's not a picky eater and leave it at that, right? So that instantly produced some changes. There were also some rather significant behavioral issues that were going on. I came into the household with some equipped with some really good, useful tools that I could bring to bear. Flash had just gone through a horrific loss. Um, as we all had when dad passed, Flash very bonded to dad and really was my dad's dog. He was grieving. The first thing that we did that very night after my dad passed is I attend a monthly Reiki circle with my Reiki master and I brought mom and Flash. And let me just tell you, Flash is a Reiki hound. He is a Reikiaholic. He loves it. And he immediately flopped down on the floor and started snoring so loudly that he woke mom and I up because we all tend to kind of fall asleep when we're getting Reiki. And he slept on my floor until four o'clock in the morning. He didn't even go to his dog bed. Like that's how sacked out he was. That's how how relieving the Reiki energy was for his stressed out, sad, grieving, empathic system because our animals are natural emotional sponges. They're natural empaths. This is one of many reasons why we love them so much. And so the Reiki helped him exhaust that excess emotional energy, that baggage that he was carrying around. I got in the habit. I've kind of eased up on it now. I'll I'll give mom Reiki every couple of days and he receives Reiki at that same time. But I was very intentional about offering flash Reiki on a consistent basis. He also had some um, environmental toxicity, some heavy metal toxicity. He had some mild blockage deep in his digestive tract that was causing some problems. He had anal gland impaction. So using animal communication together with the Reiki energy, I was able to pinpoint with much greater accuracy, not only what was going on, but where it was going on and what was related to what in terms of the symptoms we were seeing and the methods that might best be used to address those symptoms. This led us in some really interesting directions. The first of which was I learned through one of my local pet parent clients about a holistic veterinary acupuncture, chiropractic, and rehabilitative clinic 
here in, in the Houston area and immediately got an appointment for Flash. And they had a wonderful tool called the Cytoscan. They did a full Cytoscan on Flash. It's, it uses biometric markers to highlight areas of potential toxicity, sensitivity, intolerances, and helps to guide the treatment and the holistic wellness protocols that are used. And from that, we began Flash on a series of acupuncture and chiropractic treatments. He began receiving certain essential oils. These wonderful veterinarians we're working with are also TCM, traditional Chinese medicine practitioners. And so they have been able to prescribe some digestive aids that we can add to this fresh food diet that have been very helpful and not just for digestion and elimination and anal glands, but also for some of the emotional stuff and the behavioral stuff that was arising as a result of the emotional stuff. And we later were led to emotion code and body code, and that uncovered some puppyhood trauma that we didn't even know existed. Inability to get nourishment, inability to get love and connection, inability to fit in. And we, we were able to release some of those old, old, I mean, we're talking two and three weeks of life. And this little puppy was going through some, some really rather weighty, serious trauma. And even earlier than that, we discovered a trauma from when he was being born that he came out first and was actually all the other puppies in the mother's womb were pressing up against him and he felt almost suffocated. So there was some trauma that was so deeply embedded inside of him. There was really no way to consciously access that, but emotion code and body code allowed me to learn about some of these older issues. And we even were able to travel back in time into some of his past life experiences. And that was very interesting. And so not to delve too deeply into that for this particular episode, because we're trying to kind of take a bigger picture and look at how animal communication and energy work has really done a 180 and flashes life and, and as a byproduct in, in our life and our lives together, the amount of closeness and trust that we're able to to really feel towards one another and um, receive from each other as well. And so all of these aids together, it sounds very linear as I'm outlining it, but really it kind of all mixes together. I guess the analogy of a stew or a soup is a good one in terms of the holistic care. So now Flash has a fresh food diet that we supplement with all kinds of wonderful nourishment. We actually use dehydrated, pre-made base mix that we can add anything we want to, depending on what Flash's current nutritional needs are. And that may mean anything from black seed oil for his anal glands to salmon oil and krill oil for healthy skin and coat to kefir for his his probiotic for to for his digestion and we add fresh vegetables and fruits here and there for prebiotics and fiber fennel for digestion and then he's got some traditional chinese medicine additives for digestion and for emotional calm and we've got some some different mixes that we use based on when he needs more protein we've also received a ton of guidance about what types of protein work best for Flash, for his age, for his gender, for his life stage, for his health history. We've added to that his acupuncture, his chiropractic. He gets regular pet Reiki from me. I check in with him constantly to 
learn more about his needs and what um, what is working and what maybe needs to be adjusted. And so it's an ongoing process. It's been quite an adventure and it has made a huge difference. We're talking about a dog who didn't know how to play. He didn't know how to cuddle. He didn't know how to receive love. In addition to these these nutrient deficiencies that he was struggling with, it was subtle. It was really hard to kind of hone in on them from the outside looking in. And we needed we needed an insider. We needed we needed to have a conversation with him directly. I needed to work with the Reiki energy to feel what was going on in his body. We have switched him as well. His traditional veterinarian had prescribed a very harsh medicated shampoo. The first time I ever bathed him was such an eye-opener for me because I realized this dog is terrified of getting bathed. And he's miserable. I'm an empath. I'm miserable. And then I broke out this shampoo. Not only did the smell knock me off my feet, but when I got done shampooing him, which took 10 minutes, he had to actually get shampooed and stand there shivering and freezing for 10 minutes before I could wash him off. And when I got done, I felt like the top layer of skin on my hands was missing. And I immediately told mom, I'm like, we cannot use this shampoo anymore. He's miserable. I'm miserable. And my hands feel like I need bandages. Luckily, being an animal communicator, I go around sometimes and I do local events. And we met an awesome vendor who had this really amazing shampoo that's honey and chamomile. It's very gentle. It smells wonderful. And it doesn't require him to stand there for 10 minutes dripping wet and freezing, waiting for the shampoo to work, doing whatever it was supposed to be doing, which we never have figured out. So we switched him over to the shampoo. And then I said to him, what else can I do? What can we do to make bath time fun? It's not fun for you. Therefore, it's not fun for me. We're both dreading it. And this is not a good energy. Life is too short, right? I asked, can we bathe you outside? And it was, it was winter at the time. It was really cold. And he said, I want to stand on the grass. And so guess what we did? I said, mom, let's get online and go to the trusty Amazon and let's find some AstroTurf, like what we bought to cover his dog ramp that he uses to go in the dog door. And we can put that in the shower. They have a big, beautiful walk-in shower. And so every time he has a bath now, I go outside and I get this big old chunk of AstroTurf and I haul it inside and put it down in the shower. The next thing he said is, can't we make it a game? Can we make it a game? Because we'd have to like put the put the cover down over the dog door and then put his leash on him and literally drag him into the bathroom. That is not fun for anybody. Again, local events to the rescue. We had found a local vendor that made these freeze-dried minnows and the poor little things. They make me so sad when I look at them, but he loves to eat them. They're like his Cheetos. And so they're just minnow fish that have been freeze-dried, dehydrated and freeze-dried. And so they're like dog chips. We turned it into a game and I do a minnow trail and he follows it. And the last minnows that he gets, he has to walk into the shower onto the AstroTurf to get it. He's still not super excited about it because he knows what's coming, but it's gotten so much easier. You just have to look at an animal that's has seven years of history doing it one way It's going to take time to reprogram. At first, I was a little frustrated. I was like, we're doing everything that you asked and you're still resistant. And then I thought to myself, I've been doing something a certain way for seven years. And I had built up a really kind of a big negative momentum around that. I was really dreading it, really fearful. It would probably take me some time. 
It's not like I would just, you know, flip a switch and we're Mr. Excitement overnight. It, it takes time. I am happy to report that things are getting a lot better. And we've changed his shampoo regimen. He doesn't have, so everything is very quick and lots of praise and lots of treats. And then he gets a special treat. He gets like his favorite thing in the world is cheese, but he'll get cheese or he'll get cream cheese or he'll get chicken is another real favorite for him, even though he's, he's really not supposed to have that. He'll get it after bath time. We've done lots of different things to make this experience of the monthly bath a lot more appealing. And we're lucky he's, he is a wire hair. So he, unless he rolls in something really stinky, we can usually get away with not bathing him more than once a month. And that has really been helpful to just kind of ease the process. Some of the daily aches and pains of his life that just they're not innate to him. Bath time, like that's wild wolves don't go for bath time. It's not in his native genetic blueprint. And that's why we look at we look at animals that seem to have an instinctive fear of certain things like getting bathed or getting groomed or getting his nails trimmed. That's something we're working on right now, working on the nail trim. And it's not in their genetic blueprint. And this is one reason why animals sometimes seem to come into life with these inhibitions or these, these fear factor reactions already in place. And we think, why? You've never had a near drowning experience. Nobody's ever bathed you in too hot or too cold. Well, why are you scared? And it's because it's not in their genetic blueprint. This isn't something that's been coded in. It's not part of their wild DNA. And so it doesn't feel natural. The best we can hope for is to find ways to make it more naturalistic and a little bit more fun. Pets are like kids. If it's not fun, they don't want to do it. If it doesn't taste good, if it doesn't smell good, if it doesn't feel good. And a lot of times that also requires making it more fun for us. Because if it doesn't feel good, smell good, taste good to us, if it comes with worries attached, if there's a medical reason why we're doing something, that's what we're broadcasting. We're heading towards our animal to do the thing that needs to be done. And our animal is getting danger, danger, run away. And that can set up a really difficult feedback loop between the person and their pet. And time and time again, I have seen it where the frustration arises and it's really triggered. The behavior that the pet is, is exhibiting is triggered by that person, but they don't know it, right? Because once we know, like just, I love what Maya Angelou said, once we know better, we do better. But what happens if we don't know? What happens if you don't know that you're broadcasting certain emotions, certain sensations, certain mental pictures, you literally don't know. So you can't change anything. And it happens over and over and over again. Then you build up a resistance too. And it takes time to undo that. It takes time to do the, the preparatory inner work that needs to be done. If I approach Flash and, and I've got an image in my mind of squirting that stuff he hates in his ears and him shivering, he's going to run away. But if I approach Flash with an image of my mind of a fun game of Minnow Trail, he's going to be much less likely to catch on and to beat a fast retreat. He's going to be more, more likely to want to participate and to be even maybe excited about having some fun. 
together. That has been something else that's been very beneficial, just shifting to a gentler, more holistic canine hygiene experience. And there's lots and lots of other areas that we keep working on, but those are some examples of how taking a look at, you know, these are hot button items, the diet, the personal hygiene, past traumas or grief that has been left unexhausted or unaddressed and just what's going on in our lives as well. Like the more I'm able to take care of my own grief around dad's passing, the more my mom has been able to take good care of herself, especially after her fall. And that was very traumatic for Flash as well. The more we can offer uplifting, holistic, and um, benevolent energy like Reiki. There's many different energy modalities. Reiki is just the one that I'm the most drawn to. I do believe that Reiki picks picks its its practitioners. I know that Reiki picked me, and that's a whole other story for a different episode. It doesn't have to be Reiki, but it's a very helpful modality for exhausting kind of that residual toxicity of past trauma, of grief, of just emotional overload that our animals tend to collect, gather, and even store on our behalf. Emotion code, EFT, I have used EFT, emotional freedom technique, very successfully with myself and with Flash and with mom and Flash, what I call tandem EFT. And there's more information about that on the animallovelanguages.com website under free tools. You can find a four-part series guiding you through that. Flash now has a holistic vet and a traditional vet. One of the big looming items that we have yet to really fully address is vaccination. I've encouraged my mom and she has done it now with a couple of the vaccines that are strongly recommended for canines of his age and life stage. I've convinced her to use titering instead. And we've discovered with a couple of them that he already has sufficient antibodies that don't need to revaccinate. So that's really important as well to kind of give him uh, some relief from the the toxins. Often it isn't even the vaccine itself, the active ingredient. It's it's the inactive ingredients that we found that he tends to have a reaction to. This can even be, we found some vitamin supplements. He has a reaction to some of the inactive ingredients, either the, the gel caps or the, the preservatives that are included to make the powder last longer, whatever it is. And so we've had to become very particular, very careful about you know, taking a look before we just add it in. And, and that has made a huge difference in his overall evolution. Dachshunds tend to have back problems. Every single one of our dachshunds has had back problems. The addition of the acupuncture and the chiropractic, as, as well as the healthy eating plan, it has really been beneficial for Flash's overall structural health and stability. We noticed he was stumbling while he was walking. He had gait instability. He seemed uncertain. And so we can get out of whack. We could do things maybe that are not always smart, but they seem like a good idea in the moment. And so we do it and then something gets out of alignment. It's no different for humans, for cars, or for animals. All of these things, we're not just doing them for the now to fix some of these problems, but we're doing it with an eye towards the future. And ideally, if started young enough, which you know, we didn't get to that with Flash, but we can even take a preventative approach. Animal communication, sometimes it's viewed as kind of a standalone solution, like I'm going to bring my animal to you so that you can fix <laughs> fix the animal or fix the problem that the animal is having. And what often unfolds is the first step to addressing the issue or fixing the problem is gathering information. And inviting that animal who's having the issue or exhibiting the problem to the conversation to 
hear what's going on with them directly. And that is the role that I play. This podcast, the free tools on my website, the blog posts, the weekly love letter that I send out, all of these are information rich with additional resources. And I have a pretty robust Rolodex of complementary professionals. And so often what happens is when we get the information, there's then next steps. Okay, let's take a look at essential oils. Let's take a look at herbal or aromatherapy. Let's take a look at Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine or acupressure and acupuncture or chiropractic or energy work or a dietary adjustment or some behavior modification additional training or socialization. There are all kinds of ways we can go, but we can't go anywhere until we get the information because that is what activates the path. That's where we get the information that we need to highlight the next steps. That's just one example. And of course, this is an example very close to home. I I share this in part because Being an animal communicator, being an energy worker for animals of all species does not exempt me from going through all of the same types of issues that my pet parent clients face with their companion animals. In fact, it sometimes makes it more challenging, more difficult, because it's so easy to make the assumption that, oh, okay, I can hear you, so you can tell me what's wrong, so... We can fix it right away. And it's like, I have my mental blocks and biases just like everyone else. I have my fragility and fearfulness and my tendency towards feeling guilt and shame and my blind spots just like everyone else. And sometimes what happens is when we start learning animal communication and our animals figure it out, that we can hear them, the challenges can actually increase because now our animals know they really have an opportunity to get through to us. They have an opportunity to become our teachers, to become our mentors, to really help us up our game in caring for them. So if you just started learning animal communication and you, suddenly it feels like things in your interspecies family are just <laughs> coming apart at the seams, you must be doing something right. You're learning well and your animals have step up to the plate and they're they're offering you guidance. They're saying to you, I trust you. I trust you enough to share what's not working, to show you where we have opportunities to improve, to enrich, to connect at a deeper level. Once you get past maybe that initial frustration or the guilt or the shame or whatever may be arising in you, understand it's it's a mark of respect. It's actually a compliment that your animal is willing to show you what they need help with and to involve you actively in that, to trust you enough to give you their honest feedback and to invite you into their world. And so I hope that this episode has been enlightening and informative for you. And I would love to hear any questions that you have. Plenty more stories where these came from. I just wanted to share one that's very, very personal to me. And for whatever it may be worth, whether to debunk myths or to offer insights or ideas, for inspiration that maybe you can you can take and, and run with. Let me know what you'd like to hear about next from an animal intuitive and energy worker's perspective when it comes to um, holistic pet care, pet health, pet wellness, and interspecies relationships and communication. And I would be delighted to address those. These episodes are coming out every two weeks in 2023, except for a few special exceptions 
I am taking a little bit of extra time to curate each episode, to gather my thoughts and share from my heart about topics that I feel might really enrich your connection with your animal as well. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do give us a like, a subscribe, a share. It really does help our little show stay alive and continue to thrive. Drop a comment. I'd love to hear from you. You can find all episodes at letstalktoanimals.buzzsprout.com or head over to animallovelanguages.com backslash podcast. All my love. Bye for you.